welcome back to the EDM podcast. This is episode 85. My name is Sam Matler. I'm your host. And if you're new to the show, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, the EDM podcast is a show where I interview successful producers, artists, engineers, label managers, industry experts, you name it. If they're involved in the world of music production in some way or another and they're interesting, I'll interview them. This particular interview though is with Crane, uh, K-R-A-N-E. He's become very popular over the past wee while and uh, we talk about a bunch of exciting stuff. We talk about how he got into music and then eventually quit his job, quit his nine to five to produce music. We talk about how he thought through that decision and what he planned out. We talk about his day to day, how he stays so productive in the studio, his new album Fallout. He gives a lot of good advice in this episode on how to collaborate with others, including the tip that I wish I'd learned earlier on uh, as a producer. And we also talk about what he feels separates beginners from professionals. Really enjoyed this interview. Crane has a great way of explaining his thoughts and his processes on things. So I encourage you to take notes. Now, if you did enjoy this interview, head on over to edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. You can leave a rating and review. This helps us reach more people or producers, helps us get more plays and ultimately helps people make better music, which is always a good thing. Finally, you can find the full show notes for this episode at edmprod.com forward slash 85. That is edmprod.com forward slash 85. Without further ado, here is Crane. This episode of the EDM Podcast is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is a comprehensive online course that helps new producers master the fundamentals of electronic music production by making four songs in four weeks. It is made by yours truly, and we've had over 950 students take the course. Many of them have had great results. Get 10% off EDM Foundations by using the code PRODCAST, that is P-R-O-D-C-A-S-T, at checkout. Again, just head to edmfoundations.com and use code PRODCAST at checkout. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast today. I'm joined by Zach, better known as Crane. How's it going, man? It's going good. How are you? Really good, really good. And super excited for this interview. Came across your music a while back. Really impressed and uh it's good to be talking to you. So let's go all the way back to the start. I want you to tell us about your background. How did you get into music and what has it been like from that point to now? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> there's how I got into music and making music and then there's how I got into producing and EDM and stuff. So um, I'll go briefly over the long history, which is, you know, when I was in middle school, um, I was super into metal and you know alternative rock and stuff like that and so um i actually started uh learning guitar and taking guitar lessons and jamming with my brother who was uh, a drummer and friends and um you know in our friend group music was like social capital like what songs could you play and uh how good you were and that sort of thing so um you know that's the that's a long story and you know as time went on and i graduated school and 
you know, had gotten into playing jazz and stuff like that in college. Um, you know, after, after, uh, after my studies and when I was working a nine to five, I just, I didn't feel like I was, I was spending as much time playing music as I wanted. It was just kind of slipping away as, you know, real life took over. And, um, around that same time, I remember, um, finding out about SoundCloud kind of late to the game, my brother showing it to me and what was going on with, um, you know, down in LA with, with collectives like team Supreme and, you know, people making rap beats. And, um, I remember I hit up one of my friends who I knew like made some dance music or something and just asked him, you know, what software he used just on a whim. And I, uh, I downloaded Ableton and that kind of kicked everything off. Um, you know, at that time I, I really wasn't listening to EDM or dance music. Um, I had never been to like a music festival or gone to clubs. It just wasn't my thing. Um, but I just started making beats in Ableton and I just got hooked. And, um, you know, for the next like two years, it was just something I did, you know, as much as possible outside of work. And it was just a hobby. And I was like throwing stuff up on SoundCloud, um, you know, just making a little project of it and making terrible music, but, um, you know, slowly getting better. And, and like, you know, again, um, through the internet and through starting to create music, getting into EDM, getting into what other producers were doing. And, uh, and yeah, it just sort of started from there, I guess. I've got two questions. The first is a lot of people, uh, work the nine to five. I get a lot of emails every day, pretty much from people who say, man, I really want to spend more time on music, but I work nine to five. I get home, I'm tired. And sometimes I just don't feel like it. I mean, did that ever happen to you or was it just like, um, I mean, yes and no. See, the thing is, um, you know, I, I fell in love with it as a hobby. And so when I was tired, when I was done with work, when I did want to break, making music actually recharged me, you know, like hopping into Ableton, messing around and making beats was fun. It was, it was what kind of gave me a break from work, which is so interesting when it becomes your full-time thing, you know, it starts to become more like work, which is one Mm -hmm. of the weird things that started happening relatively recently, um, where now I need to find other hobbies to take a break from music, which used to beat the break. Um, So, you know, I mean, I'm always kind of hesitant to give people like prescriptive advice. I guess like, you know, it should be fun and making a choice to become a producer or to go into music because the failure rate is so high. It's so risky. It should be based on the fact that, you know, you were trying to make a change in your life for the better. Like, you know, can you make your job way more fun? Can you do something that you love doing outside of work during work hours? And for me, that was the whole motivation to get into this and to quit my job and to take the leap was, can I turn a hobby into a profession. And so for me, I mean, you know, again, I was, I was waking up like five in the morning so I could make beats before I had to go to work. I was doing it on the bus. I was coming home after work and staying up late and doing it because it was just really fun. And I think, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe a lot of people out there feel pressure to do music because they're like super fans and they love music and, and they feel like, Oh, I could, I could produce. And I guess it would be really sad to start doing it and realize that you don't have the energy. It's just, it is draining. Um, and then maybe it's not meant for you, but I don't know. That being said, like maybe that's a good place to start from, but I don't, I don't know. So I'm, I'm rambling now, but you know, for me again, it, it was not hard to do it after work when I was tired. Cause it was the thing that 
re-energized me. Yeah, totally. I've noticed that not just in my life, but also, you know, talking to others, it's like the people who really struggle to sit down and make music are those who have, it's not because they don't like making music or they don't love music. It's just that they've applied so much pressure to themselves uh, yeah. whether it's like, oh, I need to be playing Coach Charlotte in five years or right. whatever, like that will kill the creative process in my opinion. Totally. And it, it does. And I think that's why I was really lucky in some ways that I didn't know anything about this scene. I mean, when I started making beats again, I didn't even know that producers DJed. Like I didn't, hmm. I had no perspective. And so it was just pure fun. There was no pressure and I never thought I would make a career out of it. So like, making quote unquote bad music didn't matter to me. I wasn't comparing myself to anyone. I was just putting up on SoundCloud. And even after it became a job, I realized, you know, when I tap back into that, um, you know, mindset when I'm producing or composing or whatever, I, I tend to make the best music anyways. Yeah. So it's, you know, it was a good, it was a fortunate thing for me in some ways that I didn't know who my peers were, what was going on in the scene. Um, of course, there's drawbacks to that too, because it took me a while to figure out what things are supposed to sound like, I guess. But, but yeah, it was, it was really fun. So I'm curious, you quit your job, but was there a point where, where did that start? Where did the, the seed get planted in your head? Like, maybe I could do this as a career. Or was that, was that like a single moment or was it like a progression up to that point? No, it was like a little gnawing thing in the back of my head. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I got my first booking, and so this was the first moment where I like, I'm going to get paid for doing something in music, even though like, it was so funny. I got this booking request. Um, I remember I was like on vacation or something and I, I read the email and I was just confused <laughs> because again, like if you have to picture, like I didn't go to shows, I didn't know that producers DJed. And so someone was just asking me to DJ and I, I didn't understand the connection between what I did in Ableton and this idea of DJing in a club, but I thought it was really funny. So I just, I like tricked myself. I just said, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. And then I had to learn how to DJ in like three weeks. And, um, and I got, you know, I remember after the show walking out and like they hand me like 200 bucks or something and just thinking, oh, this is really funny. Like I just got $200 for doing something that did not feel like work whatsoever. And I think that, you know, that plan of the seed and the bookings, you know, slowly, slowly over time picked up. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to monetize my music on SoundCloud or YouTube and money started coming in. So it really just kind of grew to the point where, yeah, it wasn't like one moment, but it was like a period of time where I realized, hey, I think I could actually maybe do this and still, you know, pay my bills. And what was the thought process like from there? Because I mean, it's not a light decision to quit a job. Like it's, it's extreme. Some people do it way too early. Some people never do it. And I think, yeah. you know, those are both bad. But what did you consider when it came to, I've got this job, I could do music. When do I take that leap? Yeah. I mean, I, I think two things really enabled me to do that. First was um, I knew that, you know, I had worked a nine to five. I had worked in my industry long enough that even if I took a year off to do nothing, I could fall back mm. on it. And so that, that felt really comforting. Um, and you know, I wasn't like fresh out of school. I wasn't, you know, working a service industry job or something. I, you know, I had a whole nother career. And so that enabled me. And then the second thing was, you know, I set some like criteria and that was, 
you know, financially, I had some benchmarks that I wanted to hit. And then just like emotionally, like I said, you know, I'm going to give myself a year Mm. because I know I won't shoot myself in the foot if I want to go back to doing design work after that. And, you know, I'm going to give it a year. I'm not going to think about it. And then, you know, when that year mark comes up, if I'm feeling more optimistic about the next year, then I'll stick with it. If I'm feeling like, you know, pessimistic about it, then, okay, I should call it quits. And this was just sort of what worked for me and what enabled me to do it. I'm, I'm not sure had I not been optimistic that I would have gone back mm-hmm. um, or not found some other way to change up my life dramatically uh, when it came to work. So that, that I'm like a planner and that enabled me a lot. I had like Excel spreadsheets with the finances and like, what's my budget and what do I need to be making and how many shows does that look like? And what do the fees need to be and that sort of thing. Um, but that's what enabled me. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure that that's necessary for most people, but I think it's pretty important though. I mean, yeah, I like the idea of setting some limits, you know, I'm the same as you like that is definitely my personality type to plan out a bunch of stuff. So maybe I'm biased, but I also see a lot of people, they don't plan at all. And they're a little bit too optimistic. Yeah. And then, I mean, for me, it's like the planning makes it comfortable to fail a little bit. Like when I mapped out, like just how much of a pay cut can I take, you know, just how much money can I invest into this? You know, what if I was, what if I pretend I'm taking, you know, a year off to travel around the world? Well, that would cost me how much money and would I do that? And like, so thinking about it in that way made it really easy to then go from making a really good salary in my previous job to not making a good Mm. salary in music, but feeling like, Hey, like I'm investing not just in a potential career, but I'm investing in my like Monday through Friday because, you know, I quit my job. I'm not really making much money, but all of a sudden, like I'm working from home all day. I'm making Mm. music all day. When I'm done working, I just stop and I get up and I go do something fun. I don't have to sit in an office and look busy. So it was, it was pretty incredible. It was part, part, you know, professional, but it was also just really nice to like be self-employed. Totally. Totally. Um, two questions. The first is you worked in design before that, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Did that help you with production? I mean, it's another creative field. Totally. Totally. I mean, I think the hugest thing was I worked in design, but I worked in design consulting. So like, you know, as a designer, you're always thinking about users and this is like product design. This isn't like interior design or art or anything like that. It's, um, you know, it's creating stuff for other people and it's just drilled into you to think about your audience, to think about your user, to understand them. And then in consulting, it's the same thing. You have another, which is your client. And for me coming into this, not understanding EDM very well, you know, it helped like take the pressure off to like, I guess, think about my audience and think Mm -hmm. about giving something they want because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted out of music. And I just loved making music so much too, but like my musical tastes are really wide. Again, I didn't come up going to festivals and going to clubs and just all I listen to is EDM all the time. I just love all sorts of music, but I wanted to make electronic music because it's something I could do on my own because I love the process. And then, you know, over time, my love for the music grew as well as I came to understand it better. But I could apply that design mindset, you know, to just thinking about the listener's experience of what I'm doing. And then, like, larger than that, like, the viewer's experience when it came to, like, visual stuff Mm -hmm. or to artwork. And so, yeah, I think it enabled me to put myself in someone else's shoes that would be consuming 
the music, the artwork, the brand, that whole thing. What were some of the challenging aspects of transitioning from a job into doing music full time? Because I feel like no one really talks about that. And there's this kind of this uh, expectation that it's always going to be fun and always going to be easy. Yet most of the professional producers I've talked to say that they had to put in habits and systems to ensure that they were like being productive. Um, I mean, I, I kind of had, and I, I know other people that might be more on this, you know, on this side of things, I had kind of the opposite problem hmm. where I had to put in guardrails to make sure I wasn't working all the time and burning myself out and tiring out my ears. And, um, you know, because I just love doing it so much and because I'm like feeling this pressure, I'm self-employed. No one's, you know, I'm not clocking out at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's not leaving the office at five that it's just like, you could work all day and all night. Mm. And there's this like lingering pressure, like, Oh man, is that next hit just like 20 minutes away? If I just did another sketch or whatever. So for me, it's one of the biggest challenges is scheduling and weekend time, you know, especially when you're touring and like, you know, you're traveling all weekend playing shows, you know, you, you come home, you're really tired, but it's Monday and all of a sudden the rest of the team is online and like, I'm getting emails and there's this pressure because everyone goes to work on Monday that I'm like, okay, I got to hop in the studio. And like, there's been months, like literally months that have gone by where I'm like, holy shit. Like I didn't, I didn't take a weekend. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's one of the pressures. And then also just, you know, you're not getting a paycheck whether you take a sick day or vacation, you get that paycheck every two weeks. Like if you don't work, you don't get paid. Mm. And so that creates this pressure to like, again, work more and more and more. And like, you know, a show offer comes in, like I should, I should take this, like it's good money, even if I don't want to do it, but then enough of that stuff stacks up and then you start to burn out. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's for me again, it's like setting those guards up so that you don't overwork so that you remember that this is supposed to be fun. And then remember the best music you made was, you know, not planned out, so to speak. So Um, have you burned out? I've definitely gotten to some burnout moments. And for me, most of those are around touring. I would love to burn out because I'm in the studio too much, but (laughs) you know, there's a lot of other aspects to this job that take up hours, Mm -hmm. um, marketing, PR, you know, even like an interview like this, but touring is really the most demanding time wise and the most exhausting for me, because again, like I wasn't like a DJ that got into producing. I wasn't like a fan of going to shows that now I get to go to shows all the time. And this is amazing. You know, I, I like didn't go out really much at all. And I definitely didn't go out to shows. So that's still the biggest adjustment for me is like, you know, if I'm doing like five back to back dates, that's like seven flights. And then, you know, there's been, there's been times when like on the flight home, I'm just like on the verge of tears. I'm so tired. So yeah. Yeah. That's rough. Um, and common as well. Like, I, I, and I think that's another misconception that people have, you know, like the, the life of an artist or producer is just coasting along like, Oh, your job is to play shows. Like that's easy. You know, why wouldn't you want to do that all the time? I mean, it's funny. Like people see the like hour you're on stage or the two hours you're on stage and then they like project their own experience. They probably met up with friends, had dinner, went to the club, saw your show, hung out with their friends afterwards, got some pizza, went to sleep. You know, it's like, well, (laughs) my experience was sitting on a plane for six hours 
getting an Uber to a hotel, checking into the hotel, taking a nap, waking up, doing a little bit of work, sending emails, like getting to the club by myself half an hour before a show, playing the set, and then going right back to the hotel afterwards to sleep as much as possible because I've got a flight like, you know, sometimes like six hours later. And if I don't sleep as much as possible, I'm going to be dead the next day. And then you, you do that like four or five times. And, you know, you just realized you haven't like seen a friend in weeks or mm-hmm. like, you know, that stuff's hard because yeah, like being on stage is fun. Shows are fun. Sometimes I do a show and there's friends there, but for the most part, it's just a lot of alone time. It's a lot of alone mm-hmm. time. And I don't travel with like a tour manager or crew or usually other acts, you know, a lot of it is just solo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears now and talk about your album fallout. What made you decide to work on an album? I mean, that's not the most common thing to do. Um, what made you decide to work on it and what are some of the challenges you faced? So that's funny. Like you're not the first person that said, that's a weird thing. You came out with an album. Why did you do that? Which for me, I, I don't know. I mean, like mm. I didn't realize that was a weird thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I just <laughs> saw people releasing albums. I was, you know, I'll keep doing singles and remixes and stuff. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to do like a bigger thing, see what that was like, you know, so much of this job and everything is like an experiment. And, you know, I think the artists and the people, producers, singers, whoever out there, who are just continuously experimenting, like they're going to, they're going to find new things or find Mm. different ways. And like coming out with an album is not innovative, but apparently it's not the norm for like an up and coming producer. Mm. And then part of it was like, it was just sort of natural because again, like I'm producing music pretty constantly, just even just sketches. And I just had so many songs. I had so many starts of songs that I wanted to see, like, is there a thread through these that I can, weave and tie it all together into a bigger package and like take on a bigger challenge of putting 10 songs together that feel connected instead of just one-off singles where you have more freedom to make one single sound nothing like the next single um so it it came about i think starting to like look at my catalog of unreleased music and start pulling things together realized where i wanted to fill in the gaps a little bit and start sketching out those songs um, but at least half the album existed in rough form before I decided to do an album even. So I don't, I don't think that's, that's not my process for the next, I've already started working on the next album and this time I'm trying something totally different. I'm saying, you know, I'm going to start from scratch here. I'm going to start with a concept and an idea and I'm going to carry it through and see where that goes. So I, I'm not sure how that's going to go, but we'll see. For sure. Uh, you did a lot of collaborations with the album. What are some tips that you give? other producers listening to this if they want to do more collaborations how to set those up and second how to do them well because i think it can be a struggle for a lot of people especially online i'm not sure if you did the collaborations in person or like a mix of both but yeah mix then i think the number one mindset going into any collaboration is you have to let go of control and you know for me like a good collaborator is one that expects that I'm going to really exercise the delete button. And that's cool. I mean, I, you know, I try to adopt that mindset. Like I remember sending, um, working with slumberjack and the thing, the original thing I sent them, their first thing that they sent back, it was like, wow, you guys really took this in a completely different direction. 
And I find that really exciting because I didn't, I didn't hear some things they heard and they really transformed it. And I was like, well, we're kind of working on a whole nother song now. That's also cool because the original sketch I sent them, I can make into a whole nother song now. And it's like, I got two songs out of this deal, but yeah, I think it's, it's really being open-minded. Like you're, you're going to collaborate with another producer so that, you know, one plus one equals three, like something's mm-hmm. going to come out of it. You can't do by yourself and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be like, Oh, I did the intro and then you did the drop and then I did the next section. I mean, I want it to be like our fingerprints are all over every section and every section feels like I could not have done this by myself because I wouldn't have thought to do it or my tools and my process are different. So, you know, I think, you know, kicking off a collaboration, I think it starts with, I don't know, just having, having something on paper always helps. Like, you know, I'll start chatting with a producer and, you know, talking about what kind of thing we want to make, but really the most effective way is just to send them some rough stuff and let them, you know, tell them, please delete everything. Even if you hear this, rough draft and the only thing you like in it is the kick drum or the chords like just okay delete everything else and that's really helpful for me because it you know as someone that likes to remix or sample you know i'll get people's things and i'll be like you know the only thing i like is this little melody thing you're doing here great that's a starting point mm. and that's really helpful when you're not in the room together when you're in the room together i mean you can sit down with the keyboard you can really just start from scratch um but you got to be really open-minded and just play around because it's it's weird being in the same room with someone because they get to see all your bad habits and they get to see all the like shitty ideas that you do for like an hour because that's how I work. Like I will start working on a song and it just, it sounds terrible for like an hour. And I know it does because I'm not trying to make it sound good. I'm just trying to find that, like that hook or that little nugget that I'm going to carry through. And um, yeah, I remember like, for example, there's this song moving and that, that song like, did a lot of good for me, got a lot of um, attention. And that song sounded so terrible for like days. And I remember yeah. like early on, I, I sent that song to Keys and Crates and they were like, ah, you know, <laughs> so it's like, there is a moment where if you send something too early that it's, I knew there was a song in there, but I, I don't think I realized other people can't hear the good parts around the garbage. So yeah. And then just, just like, work with everyone, you know, and half of them are going to fail and never be released or just be for fun. But like you learn something for every single one that you can take into another project. Yeah. I think that's the thing. The first collaboration I did sent the project back, I got it. And I was like, I didn't know you could do that in Ableton. Sounds really good though. Like you just learn a ton. Yeah. There's a thousand ways to do one thing. And it's, it's cool to adopt someone else's way of doing something, even if it's not your natural way to organize your project file or put your drums in or whatever, um, because something will, you know, the sound is, it's a product of the process that you use. Like my songs sound the way they do a lot of the times because of the process I go about. So when I'm trying to make something different, switch up the process is a great way to try to get something new. When you're working on your own projects, are you quite ruthless in terms of deleting stuff as well? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's stressful because like, you know, you start removing things, but I mean, I'll just save like a hundred versions of things or I'll bounce something out like a sample or, you know, a flattened, you know, one track of it just to have for later. But typically I'll like, I'll treat it like sketching, you know, I'll get to an idea. I'll be like, okay, you know, save this save as or whatever, and then just start doing something completely different. And then maybe go back to the old one and pull some tracks in or whatever. It's pretty fluid. Yeah, no, I like that. 
And that's always how I've thought about it as well, like sketching and then kind of refining down. I mean, some producers can work really well, just like I know some people who just really make things sound good straight away. Like they'll work on the intro and just mix it down and make it sound awesome. I can't, I can't really do that. So other than just really loving to make music, are there any other ways you keep, because you're super productive, like you output a lot of music. Are there any other like routines or habits that you have or kind of traits, I suppose, that help you output more music? Um, I mean, one of them for me that really helps is having, you know, time limits, having deadlines and I'll, I'll kind of fabricate those for myself. Um, I mean, even something as simple as like, like my girlfriends, I was just talking with her and agreed to go on a hike with her in an hour. And that, that I could just say, you know, no, I'm working, like I'm in the studio, you know, I got to put the time in, but all of a sudden for me, some magic happens when I'm like, oh my God, I only have an hour. And if I don't do something in this hour that I'm proud of, I'm going to be stressed out the rest of the night because there is this feeling of like, when I don't have something that I just made that I'm excited about, like I start to get stressed out and I need to like sit down. So I, for me, that's like these time pressures remind me of what it was like to have my nine to five and be a producer at the same time where I did some of my favorite work or ideas because I'd sit down and I'd say, I only have an hour or two. And if I don't even, if I don't get like some cool idea out or something I'm kind of excited about, I feel disappointed. And so that pressure actually really enables me to work. Whereas like, you know, when I come home and I'm like, yeah, I've got nothing on my calendar all week. I can spend 10 hours a day in the studio. I've got no pressures. I've got no releases on the calendar. I need to like hurry up and finish. Suddenly, like (laughs) I don't work as productive and I start to get a little lazy. Um, so I think that's, that really helps for me is setting those time constraints. Like I remember when I started, I used to do the team Supreme ciphers and that's great because there's two constraints. There's the time constraint, which is you got to get this done before Tuesday or whatever. And then there's the sample constraint, which is you have to use this sample. And so I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll bring in a, like a sample of a song or whatever that I know I want to manipulate and build off of, but I have no idea where it's going to go. And I'll say, I have to make something that sounds decent using this. And that, that helps limit choice because otherwise you just kick back and you've got infinite numbers of synths and sounds and samples and like, where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Uh, and I've noticed the same thing, like the days where, cause I'm self-employed as well. Like <laughs> the days where I don't set a time limit on my work, I will procrastinate so much. Even when I have like hard deadlines, like if I have to get something done by Thursday, but I've kind of given myself the uh, lenience of working 16 hour days or whatever it may be. I won't actually work 16 hours. I'll be like, yeah. oh, I've got all this time up until 12 AM. So I can just take a few hours off this afternoon. Um, it really doesn't work well. The most productive days I've had is where it's like, I'm going to work from eight to six and that's it. Yeah. And that is it for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you got to set up those guardrails to keep you on track. I think, or at least for me, like that's, I'm sure there's some people out there that are like, they need the white space. They need the lack of anything outside of the studio. And that's how they get in the zone. But I actually like thrive off of distraction. Like I love working on music when my roommate's home and making noise and like talking Mm. to me half the time. And I'm just really, it's just like, it kind of turns off. I mean, this is not when I'm like mixing or really refining, but when I'm just sketching, like I'll go to cafes and stuff. And that's just the moment where you're just getting lots of ideas into Ableton, you know? trying stuff out, playing around and, and not being self-critical while you're doing it. Cause that'll just kill 
any of those happy accidents. And like, sometimes those make the best starts of songs. Like again, that song moving. I, I remember just randomly dropping in this sample, this George Duke piano sample and chopping it up and pitching it on the bus. Like that was by the end of the bus ride, I was like, there's a hundred percent going to be a song that comes out of this. Like, I'm really excited about where this is going now. The rest of the time. Yeah. I do need like heads down, like deep work time, no distractions to like now get it to be a real song. But it was all built on an hour of sketching while I was highly distracted and not paying much attention. Yeah. I really like that. I think it's not something I've considered, but it kind of removes the pressure. Like you said, if you're just in a, in a different environment, a lot of my creative work happens at coffee shops or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the deep work for me has to be done without distraction, but like that can also be daunting. I don't know if that's great for the, the purely creative stuff, like idea generation. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I read something the other day. It was Daniel Pink, a book called when, but he made the argument that to do like kind of open, idea ideation creative work is best in the afternoon when you're a bit tired Mm -hmm. because you're a lot less critical um and your brain's just not as sharp as it normally is totally so you're more likely to make mistakes found that super interesting i mean that's i like i do some of my best ideation right when i wake up because i'm not a morning Mm -hmm. person and i've got my coffee and i'm not thinking and i can barely hold a conversation but that's like, it's such a great time to just start dropping samples in and like messing around and, you know, seeing what happens because my brain is half off. And I think turning off your inner critic and your kind of self-awareness while you're making, you know, those first ideas is really important. And why, again, back to your question about collaborators, you know, something that can be a little bit of pressure when someone comes into the studio and you're going to do that in front of them and they're going to sit there like, maybe grimacing at what your song sounds like for an hour, but you just have to like be confident and trust it and know that, you know, something will form out of it and just have that faith, even though you haven't heard it yet. hundred mm-hmm, percent. So switching gears again, sessions, what is it? And uh, why did you decide to start that up? I mean, it, it was like, it was similar to what we've been talking about. Like, you know, as, as the, like, the expectation of hits and making better and better music grew as like the, you know, success of this project grew. I felt this need to like hold back from like just posting my rough beats and stuff all the time. And that was cool. It it forces me to spend more time refining the music that I'm putting out. At the same time, I felt this loss of like, you know, one people really like the rough stuff and the more playful stuff. And and two, I, I didn't, I, I just wanted to keep that going. And then on the other hand, it was like, I wanted to keep collaborating with people and not, not think about it in terms of like, you know, what, what is this brand? Does this work for me? Does it make sense to make a song with this person? Just like purely based on the music. And then I think the third thing is like, I like the idea of giving back. And the more I talk to up and coming producers and have interviews like this, where I realize like, people want to like, know this stuff and know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Sessions just came out of all of that. So it was, it really just made sense. What if we do this project where we, you know, or where I like open my inbox. People can, oh, there's my dog. <laughs> so good, man. Henry, be quiet. Um, <laughs> so there's the distraction, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What if I open my inbox, people can send in any kind of music and make this like side profile for it. 
and everyone knows it's just like it's casual and it's fun you know i get to find some producers i'm excited about discover them through this inbox you know they could have 20 or 20,000 followers i don't care and like you know i get to lend my brand my brands and my marketing and whatever i can to them if that's helpful and you know i get to cherry pick all these rough songs and work on them it's like mm-hmm. it's so cool for me um so yeah it's just it's been awesome i'm it's one of my favorite times of year is like submission yeah. period for sessions um yeah i love that yeah it's getting a little overwhelming like the last one well i made the mistake of taking on too many songs i, I think i just finished it like right before this interview mixing down the last one but mm. I took on eight songs, which is double what I normally do. So it took me twice as long. Um, I didn't really think that through, but I just got so many submissions this time. I think I had a spreadsheet of like a hundred songs that I was like, I'd be, I'd be excited to have made any of these rough drafts. Wow. A hundred from how many like submissions? Um, I think I got over a thousand. Oh, wow. And some people are submitting multiple songs and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was a lot this time. Um, and I, I took on too much cause I was just, it was, it's so hard to say no to these, to these songs. Um, it's so exciting to hear this stuff. Um, and it's, it's also terrifying to see what people with like 20 followers on SoundCloud are capable of, you know, and like the people that are like nipping at your heels, that could totally fill your shoes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 pretty inspiring. I'm excited about this round. It should be it should be out in the world within the next 30 days or so. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, who are some producers who you feel are truly innovating right now in the industry? They don't have to be well known. They can be, but is anyone that comes to mind? Oh man, this is like when I go on Netflix to watch a movie, and all of a sudden that <laughs> that like list of things I want to see just disappears because like it's. I'm so bad with names one. And then two, like, I don't, uh, who's innovating. Let's come back to that question. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got another question to follow up. Actually. Uh, It sounds like you got really good, really fast. And obviously you spend a lot of time with other producers and listening to music and so on. What do you feel separates beginners from professionals? It's, it's, I think from my personal experience, it's um, doing more with less. It's, it's turning something up by turning everything else down. It's, you know, making this part of your song pop by deleting everything that competes with it. It's going through your drums and deleting every single piece of it until it's still the same groove because it's, you know, like it's, it's, it's achieving loudness by not having everything loud, I guess. And I think that is a cool metaphor for a lot of things, but like, you know, in songwriting and producing, it's easy to add stuff. It's much harder after you've heard a song a thousand times to know what to delete because you've memorized it. You know, you're not noticing the fact that this one section is really busy because it's not busy in your mind because you know what's around every corner. But to be able to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's listening to this song at, a third of the volume and has never heard it, you need to be really poignant. And there's a time and a place to be like maximalist or whatever. But for the most part, if you can achieve the same effect with less actual parts and less things actually playing, your mix is cleaner, your song's catchier, 
it's got more dynamics in it. So I think that's, um, I think that's for me, one of the biggest things and something that no one is done getting better at. I totally agree. It's so hard as well. I mean, it sounds easy in theory, but to who was talking about it? I think it was Porter Robinson or maybe Matt Zoe, like talking about production porn, basically. Like if you're adding a bunch of stuff to try and make your song sound more complex, but it's not really contributing to the quality or vibe of the song, then like all you're trying to do is impress other producers. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is, it's like whenever anyone says, oh, how do you get your kick so loud? And I was like, well, just turn down everything else. I mean, like if you yeah. want the loudest possible kick, just mute everything except for the kick. Like that's the loudest possible kick. So carry that idea forward, like turn your bass down, high pass everything, you know? I mean, it's like people say the same thing. Like, how do you get that synth so stereo? I'm like, well, there's no more stereo than just stereo. So mm. just make everything else mono. And I've, I've even told people, I was like, do this experiment, like literally go through, stick a utility on every single thing, except that one synth and make it all hundred percent mono. And suddenly your song sounds so wide. The irony mm. being that it only sounds wide because of contrast, because yeah. you can measure your ear is picking up on not the synth, but the space between the synth and everything else. And I think that's, you know, that's something I try to keep in mind all the time. And I'm constantly while I'm working, turning things down. And that's something mm. that took me a long time to do because I used to do the opposite. I used to slowly turn everything up. And if you watch a lot of beginners produce, they'll just, they'll do that because their ears are getting tired and they want it to be louder and they're listening to it loud and it's sounding dull. So let's turn everything up a little bit. Let's turn that synth up a little bit. Oh, my bass is, I'm not like, let's turn that up instead of the opposite, which is turning everything else down. So I think that's, I think that's a big thing. 100%. And people forget that psychoacoustic or psychological side of it. The thing you mentioned with the stereo field, like there's that. There's also, I'm pretty sure this is true, but listeners can really only focus on three things at once. And yep. if there's more than that, like they'll, it'll consolidate in their brain to just three things. So that's why you don't hear four synth layers. You just hear one sound. Um, exactly. And then it's like, so don't add too much in your chorus. Like I've, I've heard songs from your producers and they have like 10 things happening in the chorus and there's nothing to latch onto. Like there's yeah. no, there's too much. 100%. Um, just like keeping that in mind, you know. And there's, and there's a time and a place for that. Like it comes down to genre, right? It comes down to what are you trying to do? There's a lot of like really cool sound or SoundCloud music or um, just like weird beats music. Like, you know, Sam Gellatry, for example, where he will have that going on. And again, mm -hmm. that's like, if you want those listeners for whom that is like, that's the groove they're going for. And it's, there's so much melodic stuff going on that it's almost like forming harmony through a bunch of melodies, like, right, right. you know, then that's cool. Like realize that that's what that audience digs and that's great. But like, if you're not trying to achieve that, if you do want a chorus that someone can hum along to or whatever, like, yeah, then, you know, people have limited ability to uh, pay attention to stuff. Like that's why our phone numbers are seven numbers because we can't yeah. memorize or pay attention to more than that. So you can have 20 cents playing chords, but realize that your listener is going to read it as one synth in their minds. So mush them all together, like get them all to fit. As soon as you're trying to create separation between like four or five, six, seven different sounds, it's just not going to happen. 
mm. the, the mm. listener's mind is going to start jamming some of them together or just feel overwhelmed. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally true. Like what, again, it goes back to like, how much can you delete and not sacrifice quality of song? Yeah. I love that. As a rule of thumb, I love that. Yeah. Especially because we all like, I definitely have a tendency to add too much. Uh, and I think it's because of, maybe it's just ego. I don't know. But like, uh, there's kind of then an expectation that if you can layer more synths, you're a better producer yeah. um, or something like that. And so a lot this of people- is, This is fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. But you know, sometimes you might have a preset that sounds fantastic by just by itself. It's yeah. like that doesn't need layered, but you'll lay it anyway, just because that's what you do as a totally. producer. Yeah, you've kind of made it worse and you've detracted from the sound. Yeah, exactly. A uh, few more questions and we'll wrap this up. What's coming up for you over the next zero to 12 months? There's definitely going to be another album and it's in the works now. And I'm, I'm really, I'm approaching it differently from, you know, rather than looking back at my existing music and saying, what's the album out of this? I'm writing lots of new stuff and I'm listening to a lot of different kinds of music to get inspiration from and trying to do something that's different. You know, I want, I want the people that have been listening to me all along to get really excited about it and hear me in it. But at the same time, be really surprised that this came from me and this was the next step that I was going to take. So it's, it's so far, it's really exciting. Um, and it feels like a step towards a sound that's maybe more me, you know, it feels me less trying to fit in, I guess, and more like stepping out on my own. Um, I mean, even me trying to fit in doesn't really fit in, I've realized, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm, it's, I have more confidence, I think, and more confidence yeah. means more appetite to take risks. And yeah. I also want to write more songs. I mean, songs in the sense that then maybe they will be a little bit more timeless and a little less ingrained in, you know, EDM, which will always be constantly changing as much as, mm -hmm. you know, anything. So that's going on. I've got, I've got another project that's going to come out well before that this summer that I'm not telling anyone about, but it'll be a bunch of songs and awesome. it's going to be another moment where people are going to say like, really, that was you. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I've got some cool remixes from some people in the community and some artists I really look up to that should be coming out as well. And then there'll always just be singles. Again, the sessions project should be out within the next 30 days. Um, so that'll be the first thing. Um, yeah. And other than that, there's some stuff I can't anticipate, you know, if I'm riding the bus again and mm -hmm. come up with some really hooky thing, but it's not going to fit in the project. Well, it's just got to be released. So we'll see. Love it, man. Okay. Final question. You, you have to go back and give your former self the moment you started getting into production, let's say first few months, three pieces of advice for your former self. What would they be? That's tough. Cause I feel like I did it. I did it. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can, we can change the no, question if you want. No, no, no. Let me try that. <laughs> um, I think, I think the first piece of advice would be to stop. I mean, this is just straight production stuff. Like, Again, turn everything down. Stop slamming everything into your limiter. That's why your mixes sound like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the second one is well, I was going to say like don't stress, you know, but I don't think I really did stress very much. I think I stress more now. 
Um, God, I wish I could go back to before I started producing and tell myself to start producing because I got into this so late, you know, yeah. I guess it's just, I guess it's, it's to stop comparing yourself to other people is really important. And I, I don't think I do that overly, but to the extent that I do do that, it makes me unhappy and it makes my music worse. So, you know, this is definitely an industry where you're surrounded by people doing just that comparing your music to other people, even people on your team doing it, like highlighting what's going on with this other artist that's next to you or whatever. And then it's just, it's an industry full of insecure musicians as well that mm. are just kind of feeding that inner critic. That's like looking to your left and to your right and saying, am I behind or am I ahead? Which is ridiculous because yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just, I'm always benchmarking. Like, how am I doing? Am I on track? And the thing is there's like, there's no track in this industry. There's people that have come up from nowhere and then like way surpass, you know, their reach in terms of music. And I've watched that happen. Like, I can't compare myself to the person next to me because the one that's super successful could be, you know, bottoming out in a month. And the one that I've never heard of could be the next super successful one. So I think it's just don't look left and right and just look ahead and make yourself happy and look at, look to your own, you know, opinion of how you're doing. And if it works for you, then, then you're winning, then you've made it. Well, Zach, I really appreciate the time. Uh, before you go, where can people find you online? I mean, SoundCloud, Spotify. I got a website, cranemusic.com. That's crane with a K. Uh, but I mean, people can find me wherever they listen to music or Twitter. They can talk to me. It's at K-R-N-E music because my name used to be K-R-N-E. I don't really want to talk about that. And I haven't changed my Twitter handle, but go find me there. Say hi. Let me know what you think of uh, anything we've talked about. That'd be cool.